On today's episode of The Corner Booth, Mulraney and I discuss the possibility of the coronavirus shutting down the NCAA tournament, Kyrie Irving being a coach killer, and where will the NFL free agent quarterbacks end up? We also sit down for an interview with Josh Ingham, the assistant athletic director at the University of St. Joseph's in Connecticut. We discuss his baseball career, coaching in the Cape Cod League, and what it has been like to work so closely with Basketball Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. Before we get started, a word from our sponsors, Novice Clothing. Spring can't come soon enough. It'll be here before we know it, and that's why I need to tell you about my guys at Novice Clothing. What started as a hobby is now a homegrown business, ready to customize your orders from hoodies to hats to t-shirts and jerseys. Whether you're outfitting an entire team or cheering section, the Bernardo Brothers at Novice Clothing Company will handle it. Nick and Garrett both graduated from LaSalle Institute in Troy, New York, before going on to play college baseball, and they're reinvesting back into their communities. Parents, coaches, and booster clubs, you need team apparel. Let's support a growing local business. Check them out at noviceclothingcompany.com and on Instagram at noviceclothingcompany and get ready to claim your crown. All right, let's roll. everybody to episode eight of the corner booth presented by procrastination sports go check us out on the blog at procrastinationsports.com and download us on spotify by searching procrastination sports or the corner booth be sure to check out our other podcast coming in hot presented by procrastination sports that'll be out this friday we're going to be playing a who knows scores best game which should be fun talk a little bachelor recap so check that out mulraney and i are here We'll get into the topic one that is taking the nation by storm, everyone being very very cautious. The Ivy League has canceled their conference tournament due to the coronavirus. Mike, make sure you're staying safe out there. How you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good, but I'm avoiding crowds. Got to do it. This is, uh, this is one of those things everybody's up in arms about doing what they can to stay safe, but I didn't think it would get to the point where we would see it infiltrate sports the way it did today, and the Ivy League comes out and cancels the conference tournament. So that gives Yale an automatic bid. If you're Harvard, if you're the two seed, you got to be pretty upset that you don't get a chance to play to go to the NCAA tournament, and now you're just stuck sending Yale. I would have figured they would have played in front of nobody before they canceled the tournament. So it was very shocking to see the tournament canceled. I know, for instance, in Italy, they banned all sporting events for the next month. The Japanese Pro Baseball League is pushing back their start date, all because of the coronavirus. Here, especially as somebody who's living in a tournament city, the March Madness tournament is going to start about three blocks from me at the Times Union Center in Albany. So right now, that's still scheduled to go on. This Ivy League cancellation was very surprising to me. It takes a lot of the, it takes a special moment away from the players of the Ivy League. I was surprised that Harvard's coach was so cool with it. He put out a statement today, quote, this is an unprecedented situation and I fully support the university and college's actions to protect the health and well-being of our students, including all of our student athletes. I trust and admire President Backhow's leadership and vision for Harvard. He was he has always done what is in the best interest of our students in our Harvard community. So I thought that was an interesting reaction because I would have figured the coaches would have wanted to play the games. But I guess the fear of the coronavirus has latched on to everyone and everything associated with these games. Yeah, I think it is 
odd that they're not trying to play the games, maybe moving the tournament to a new location if they're concerned about the area where they're playing it, or uh, like you said, not playing the tournament um, at all. I thought they would play the tournament without anybody in the stands, maybe even without commentators or TV coverage, just go in the gym, two teams, and play the game and see what happens. I am surprised they're not doing that, but this is one of those situations where it's odd. There's no real rule book to see what you're supposed to do in these situations. And I guess these schools got to try to figure out what's in their best interest. Um, I don't know if it's because it's in the Northeast and we saw the coronavirus kind of break into the U.S. in Massachusetts. Maybe that is driving the fear a little bit. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. It is interesting, though, because we are so accustomed to seeing conference tournaments and the regular season really being watered down in college basketball because everybody gets to play in the conference tournament. So the fact that Harvard doesn't have a chance to go to the NCAA tournament went up until a few days ago. They probably thought, we're in this, we got a good chance, and now those kids are robbed of that opportunity. That's the tough part about it, like you said, and I agree with you. Just a, just a, an idea that popped into my head, with the NCAA tournament being in Albany, we're going to have to send you down there to either hand out flyers or to do some man-on-the-street type coverage. We're going to need to get you and McHugh down there and get the video going. We're going to have to do something. There's going to be a lot of people there, and as long as Shane and I have gloves on, we should be good. Yeah, I think we're going to have to send you guys down there, maybe talk a little coronavirus, ask if people are worried, then also maybe plug our podcast, plug our blog. I'm going to get on that. That's going to be my project for the week. I think of all of the conference tournaments to cancel, the Ivy League one is probably the easiest one to cancel. I mean, of all of the Ivy League teams, the only guy I can remember having an NBA career is Jeremy Lin. Yeah. So, uh, so uh, if you're looking at this, all of these guys have brighter futures than basketball. Way brighter. <laughs> so well, these guys are going to go work for law firms or Merrill Lynch or some finance company, something like that. This is this is the one conference tournament where you can go. Oh, these guys may basketball is uh, only going to be a small part of their lives. They're going to these Ivy League schools where. They're not expected to be as gifted physically or in basketball. They're expected a lot more to be what they're going to be down the line. So it's probably, of all the tournaments, even the SWAC or WAC or all those Midwestern conferences that semi-exist, it's probably a lot harder to justify those cancellations because the conference tournament is so much bigger to quote-unquote regular schools and it probably is for the Ivy League. I might be wrong on this, but I'm almost positive that up until a couple of years ago, they didn't even have a conference tournament. It was always the regular season winner went to the tournament. I, I don't know, but I'm almost positive that this is a newer thing for the Ivy League to play an actual conference tournament. Even the Ivy League teams I can remember that won games were Bucknell the year they went, I think, to the round of 32 or Sweet 16. It might have been before they expanded. And I know from like way back in the day, Princeton used to Princeton. sneak up and beat a couple of people Princeton with their weird offense. In the 90s. I, they, always, they, they always show that. What's that? Is that the Bryce Drew? Was he a Princeton guy? No, that's a different school. But no, Princeton snuck up and beat somebody. You're right. Yeah. I can't pick a winner in college basketball, by the way. Side note, speaking of college basketball, it is ugly. It's real ugly, and it's been like a four-day thing. I took Wake Forest, and they stink. They stink. The the whole 
top 25 has been wild because now it looks like San Diego State can't beat anybody. It looks like the whole top five has changed, I felt, every two or three weeks for the entire season. It's brutal. I, well, I do think there's one better team than everybody. I think Kansas is better than everybody. But like from team like behind Kansas, the rest of the teams, the rest of the top 25 could beat each other at any given moment. And teams that are not, we're going to see so many upsets in the tournament. I know we always say that going in and you root for it. But this year has been so up and down that I think it's almost impossible for us to not see upsets. This is going to be a great year for me to talk myself into like the Warren Buffett billion bracket. Right. And it's going to be like the last time I was in when Mercer beat Duke and I was out in the first game. Yeah, that always happens. I mean, I've I've been there so many times where like you'll have that and you have the 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 one year I put Duke in the final four, you get the Mercer game or you'll or you'll have a team that like you like you you talk yourself into an 8 or a 7 seed that you think is good that's going to go yeah. deep into the tournament and they're out in the first round. It always happens. I I mean, this is the best time of year. It really is. Yeah, and I'm excited to see the conference tournament games this weekend going into Selection Sunday. I think all of the conference tournaments that will be played will still be played in front of fans. And that's always an electric atmosphere. There's always a great one or two teams that steal the automatic bid, which is always exciting. And again, this comes down to like 18 and 19-year-old kids who now might not even have to go back to class. So they're living their best lives. Um, My wife they, said to me the other day, uh, she was like, can you believe we're almost 10 years older than some of these kids? And that really hit me hard. That was the first feeling of feeling old in a while. <laughs> yeah, like, it's... Uh, that's one of those things you're like, oh, wow. Yeah. Not even the guys who are in college forever. Like, I remember Kevin Pitsnoogle on Pitt. I feel like he was in college from like... When I was in eighth grade to the time I was a junior in college. Like, I feel like Kevin Pitsnoogle was in Pitt for like 12 years. The guy from Louisville was a guy that I felt was in college forever that was on the national championship team with Peyton Siva, the white guy. Yeah. Uh, Luke, uh, hold on, bad podcast time, but I got to remember this guy's name. Louis, Louis, Hitball, Luke. Just, just. Luke Hancock. That yes. guy was in college for a billion years just type it in live on the air francesa does it on his show all the time well yeah i'm gonna start doing that when i need to answer my question i'm just gonna type it right in. yeah we can yeah um, yeah i can't pick a winner right now and this is historically my time to shine like i do great during march madness and i am not doing well right now but i'm hoping that this weekend is a little momentum but on the other hand the nba i'm hotter than a pistol speaking of the nba yeah Coach killer Kyrie strikes again. He is going to be going on. His, this is the seventh coach that's been fired in his nine years in the NBA. It's starting to look like the New York Knicks dodged a bullet by staying away from Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant and DeAndre Jordan. Yeah, I mean, I'm starting to feel the same way. And, like, don't get me wrong. I wanted KD. I wanted Kyrie. I thought that the Celtics, Kyrie, was kind of an anomaly, and he just wanted out of Boston. It wasn't the right fit for him, but I was wrong. He is a coach killer. He is a weirdo, and he makes Kevin Durant look normal. Oh, yeah. Kevin Durant looks emotionally balanced to Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant just makes burner accounts and fights randos on Twitter. You know how much I hate LeBron? 
And I have to come out in LeBron's defense because since LeBron has gotten away from Kyrie, he has been more tolerable than he was. When he was with Kyrie, I think he had to do a lot of damage control to keep that team intact. Don't get me wrong. LeBron with the Heat is the most unbearable athlete of all time. Um, But since he's gone to L.A., maybe it's because I don't get to see him as much on the East Coast. But I do think Kyrie added to my hate for LeBron because Kyrie is slowly creeping up the ladder of my most hated uh, NBA, NBA player. It's kind of crazy with the Kyrie Kevin Durant thing because if they wanted Kenny Atkinson to still be the coach, he would be. And for them to like make DeAndre Jordan bite the bullet because he's the only one that's active and say, oh, well, Kevin and Kyrie and I, we didn't have a problem with Kenny. We didn't know where if the stars wanted Kenny Atkinson to be there, he would be there. Kenny Atkinson didn't get fired because Spencer Dinwiddie didn't like him. Right, exactly. You're 100% right. He didn't get fired because Jarrett Allen didn't like him. He got fired because Kevin Durant and Kyrie didn't like him. And look, here's the thing. The Nets overachieved last year with Kenny Atkinson. Yeah. And everyone was saying how great of a coach he is. People are still saying that he's one of the better NBA minds in, in, the, in the entire league. So the fact that you come into this season with a team that's pretty much the same team it was last year. Yeah, you had Kyrie, but he hasn't played as much as he should be playing. He's been hurt a lot. DeAndre Jordan's over the hill. And they're still in the playoff hunt. A lot of coaches don't get fired when they're still in the playoff. Yeah. Not only in the hunt, they're the seventh seed right now. Yeah. In, in, in an Eastern Conference that, frankly, is pretty good for the first time in a long time where it's not just one or two teams. There's four or five teams in the top half of the Eastern Conference that are pretty good teams. Yeah. you got the Bucks, you got the Celtics, you got the Raptors, Indiana's been playing good. you got teams that are good in the top half of the Eastern Conference. So for them to still be in the playoff picture as a seven seed without Durant, with Kyrie limited time, and pretty much the same team that they had last year that overachieved, like you said, if those guys liked him, he would still be there. The fact of the matter is they obviously didn't like him, and that's why he got fired. The the only team to not give in to Kyrie's bullshit has been the Celtics that said, no, we're sticking with Brad Stevens. Yeah. I mean, look, yeah, Kenny Atkinson went to Brooklyn his first two years, and they were atrocious. They were 20-62 and 62 and 28-54. and 54. Last year, though, they finished 42-40, and 40, won a game in the playoffs, and brought the Nets back to the playoffs for the first time since that Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, Joe Johnson yeah. experiment at the end of their career. And this year, they were 28-31 and 30 when he got 28 and 31 when he got fired. With both their max players hurt. Right. They and signed they Kevin Durant, who's eating a roster spot with a torn Achilles. And they have Kyrie, who had a shoulder issue, came back, had a shoulder issue again. They've been in and out of the lineup, and Atkinson's doing the best he can. DeAndre Jordan, you're right, over the hill. Yeah, 100%. This is the guy that Nick should hire. Atkinson is a former Nick guy. Assistant. He was an assistant for five years during that period where they went to the playoffs, 2008 to 2012, when they were halfway decent towards, towards, towards the end there. Anybody who is associated with the Donnie Walsh years can come back. Let me see. I think the 2012 Knicks were... That, he was that, definitely that, there because he was there in 2011 for Lynn Sanity. Yeah. So, yeah. 
the Knicks that year, yeah, I mean the Knicks had a winning record the last two years. He was he was he was there. Anybody that can do that, bring him back. Anyone associated with success can come back. But on and success is a relative term for the Knicks. But yeah, anybody that went to the playoffs, I think would be good. I mean, this guy's a career coach, man. Like he's he's been an he's been an NBA coach since 2008 with the Knicks. Before that, he was coaching in the Euro Leagues, and he has been all over the world playing basketball. I mean, he spent 14 years as a player bouncing around from different places. Yeah. I think I I think this guy is going to get a job. I don't think the Knicks will. Hire, I mean, he is a New York guy too. Yeah, like this might be somebody that the Knicks should look at, but whoever the Knicks are supposed to hire, they won't. Um, but I think this guy will get a job immediately. I think he'll have a yeah. job next year. Atkinson built a great culture in Brooklyn before Kyrie yeah. blew it up. That Nets team with D'Angelo Russell and Dinwiddie and Jared Allen was fun. That's the team they should have kept together. Yeah. They, I mean, honestly, though, I shouldn't say that because next year with Kyrie and KD healthy, they'll probably be great. But from a culture standpoint, that's the team that they should have kept. My dream scenario is Kyrie forces his way out the All-Star break next year. He decides he doesn't really like Kevin Durant and he bails. And I feel like Kyrie's destiny is to be the best Sacramento King of all time. Well, that's what he needs. I mean, he's already got his ring. I think he needs to go to a place. He, he's been in Boston now. He's been in New York. I don't think the big market is the spot for Kyrie. Go to Minnesota. Go to Sacramento. Go to a place Phoenix. like that. Phoenix. Somewhere out on the West Coast. Like I don't even think he could go to a place like Indiana because they love their basketball. They would hate him there for all his off the court and like... You know, I'm not playing today. I am playing today. I'm not going on this road trip. I'm not feeling well. All this yeah. stuff that he brings. Go to the Magic. Go to the Suns. Go somewhere like that. And I, I don't know. I just think he, at this point, when you've been in the league nine years and seven coaches have been fired. It's nice. almost like the Jay Cutler thing where I think I read Cutler was in the league for 12 years and had nine offensive coordinators. Yeah. He's and one of those guys who's just good enough to get you fired. You also have to think about this. Last year, he played for Brad Stevens, who didn't get fired. He was also with the Cavs during the Tyrone, the Tyron Lue. Uh, David Blatt. So, yeah. like, <laughs> that's another guy. Blatt, him and LeBron got him out of town. Um, they ruined David Blatt's whole life. He had to go yeah. coach in, like, Turkey. Yeah, him and uh, Rick Pitino. Yeah. Both coaching in. Talk about a guy that fell off the face of the earth. Pitino's coaching in, like, Israel or somewhere. He's trying to coach like the Greek Olympic team or something. Isn't he is. He? I think he's the head coach for the Greek Olympic team. Going back, to, going back to the Atkinson Knicks thing, I would much prefer to see Kenny Atkinson coach the Knicks over an established guy like Thibodeau. Because when you go back to those Bulls teams that Thibodeau had, he ran Butler, Rose, Noah, all of those guys into the dirt. Like, yeah, their but, whole careers were altered outside of maybe Butler. But Butler doesn't play the minutes he played under Thibodeau, even now. So you can see, that, like... Wouldn't you, wouldn't you be okay if Thibodeau came in and ran our young players into the ground for five, six years, but we went to the playoffs every year like those Bulls did? I would take the playoffs anytime. Right, that's what I'm saying. I mean, what was it? We did the math the other day when we were talking about... Dolan and Spike Lee, how many winning seasons Spike saw as a season ticket holder. And like, over the last 20 years, they've probably won 45 games twice. 
Like I would, I would love to see a Knicks team in my adult life win a playoff series again. How many years? They probably only won forty-five games three times in the last twenty years. Because the insanity year was a lockout. Forty-five, yeah, no chance, no chance. The year they went to the playoffs with Carmelo and Jason Kidd. They had fifty-four that year, and the year before was Lynn Sanity when they were the eight when there was the lockout. So there wasn't even 55 games played. So what's that, 2000? They were good in, they were, they were good in 2000. They were decent in 01. But I think they've won once. That, I think one time in 20 years. Yeah. They won 45 games. So if Thibodeau wants to ruin R.J. Barrett and Mitchell Robinson, Alonzo Trier. I'm in. Yeah. Unfortunately, I'm in. I will go the full Chicago Cubs, Dusty Baker. If you want to ruin Mark Pryor and Kerry Wood, you do it. I just, just want some success. <laughs> Look, I don't think Thibodeau's the answer. I was just playing devil's advocate with you there. Like, if we were to say Thibodeau comes in and we're guaranteed to go to the playoffs, then I'm in 100%. Obviously, you don't know that when you hire him. I don't think he's the guy. But, again, maybe the established NBA guy is the guy. Because the guys that we've gone with recently – have not been. David uh, David Fisdale, who only coached for, what, two years, three years in Memphis. Hornacek, who was a two-year guy in Phoenix. Uh, Derek Fisher, who had no experience. That hasn't worked. The last guy to have real NBA experience, Dan Tony and Mike Woodson, they've been better for the Knicks. Now, I don't know if that's just a coincidence. I mean, you had better players then. You had Amari, you had Carmelo in his prime, who they completely wasted. I'll, I'll die on that hill forever. And I don't know. I don't think, like, the young, charismatic guy worked with Fisdale. I would, I'll, I'll, I'll put my hand up. I was wrong about Fisdale. I thought Fisdale was an awesome hire. Oh, me so too. When we got him, and he, he, was, he, was, he was not the answer. So I don't know. I don't know if they do go for a guy like Thibodeau or – you know, like a like a like a Jason Kidd, maybe that could be yeah. somebody. If you can get him away from the Lakers, yeah. I would love if they brought Jason Kidd. Jason Kidd was loved when he played for the Nets, obviously, but when he came to the Knicks, Knicks fans embraced him big time. Forty-one-year-old Jason Kidd is about the third best Knicks point guard of my adult life. Yeah, for sure. It's like two weeks of Jeremy Lin, the second time when Raymond Felton was fat. Chubby Raymond Felton. And Jason Kidd. And those are probably the three best Knicks point guards of the last 10 years. I would love somebody like that. I would like a guy like, where's like, uh, isn't Lionel Hollins? He's a Laker assistant now, coach, too. Like, if they're going to go, like, full, I am doing a lot of Google here in the show, and I love it. I'm addicted to now looking up stuff as we record. I'm going to be the Mike Francesa of this podcast. Just <laughs> uh, I love what Francesa used to say. <laughs> Like Lionel Holland, somebody like that, is he, I think he's the assistant with the Lakers. I, my yeah. internet's up with him. But somebody like that. If they're going to go that spectrum, then go like Lionel Hollins or like Thibodeau. Yeah. But if they want to give somebody like a second chance at being a head coach, I would go kid over Kenny Atkinson any day of the week. I also, if we're going to bring Jason Kidd back, the rumor was as soon as Leon Rose took over as director of basketball operations, he's trying to bring Carmelo home for the farewell tour. Well, if that's the case, then I'm going to be very happy. I mean, we need to do that. What if we made Carmelo the player coach? Now we're talking. We're going to be running a lot of jab-step isolation basketball, and I'm here for that. 
Carmelo, if he comes back to the Knicks for a farewell tour season and the Knicks know they're going to stink, he'll shoot 50 times a game. It'll be unbelievable. It'll be awesome. <laughs> what if we hire Meta World Peace? That's a hire I would love. Like, if we're going to go crazy, let's go crazy. I think Meta World Peace would be good for the Knicks. I think he'd bring a little energy. He's an experienced guy. He's he's won championships. He might bring a little fire, a little hard-nosed hoops. That's what we need. Meta was just at the Knicks game the other day. Don't you think that was a little odd? Like <laughs> Having a little interview? Saying, he's been saying he wants the Knicks job for like three years. And then he shows up to the Knicks game in a Knicks jersey sitting courtside. You really See, think he's that close with Julius Randle from those bad Lakers teams? See, here's the thing with Dolan. We, as Knicks fans, hate Dolan, right? Yeah. But every five, six, seven years when he really feels the heat, he does something that the Knicks, that the, that, that, that the Knicks like. The Knicks were, we need a superstar. We need a superstar. He said, all right, I got you, Carmelo. It didn't work out, but I got him. The Knicks said, we need an organizational change. I got you, Phil Jackson. That's what you wanted. That was horrible. So if Knicks fans clamor for something enough, like if they get on this Meta World Peace coach the team, yeah. he'll hire him, and then when it's a dumpster fire, he'll be like, oh, one sorry. of the One of the only redeeming qualities of James Dolan is that when he feels too many people are calling him a scumbag, he will overspend for some other schmuck to take the heat. Right, like, and that's what I love. A couple years ago when he hired Phil, he was basically like, basketball genius Phil Jackson, I'm going to take a step back, let Phil handle everything, and get all your hate mail. And then Phil traded for Alexi Chavez, traded six-man-of-the-year J.R. Smith for Cole Aldridge. Signed Lamar Odom for a couple days. Signed Lamar Odom. He signed Meadow when Meadow was washed. We had Sasha Vujicic on the roster. Like, he let Phil take all of that. He's probably still paying Phil. He did the same thing with Larry Brown. Big he was time. like, Larry and Brown? Isaiah. He, and Isaiah Thomas. Yeah. Dolan is always good for finding a schmuck to take the heat off of him. And that's, and that's the thing. It'll always be somebody with, like, a big-name stamp to him. That's why I th- the, the, the Knicks have no chance of getting a big-name free agent. So I'm done with that. I've talked myself into that for the last eight years. Yeah. Rooting for that, you and me both. And we always talk about it, you and I, and it never happens. So I'm done with that. So the only yeah. big splash that Knicks can make is if they hire a coach. And that's oh, yeah. what I think he'll do. And that's because when, now, that's when now they'll say, we got Leon, Leon Rose. He's the basketball guy. He's yeah. in tune with all these guys. He was their agent. And now I'm going to give you the big name coach. And when we suck again, it's not on me. Yeah. And uh, to the free agent point, that's one of the things I liked about Scott Perry's plan was that if no one will come here, We'll draft you and force you to waste your 20s on this team. But that's what they should be doing. Yeah. Like, as crazy as that sounds, nobody's coming to play for James Dolan. So you have to force people to play there by drafting them. Yeah. And then, it, and then if you bring in a good president of operations and a good coach to build a culture that's good and be like, F. Dolan, he's the owner, he's paying your checks, but we don't have to worry about that guy. Let him do his nonsense. We'll, we'll, nonsense. we'll focus on the stuff on the court. Yeah. That's what the Knicks need. No free agents are going there, so you got to get a good group of young players, which I think they have. The problem is they have no one to develop them right now. Yeah. Let's shift gears to our interview. We sat down with Josh Ingham, who is the assistant athletic director at the University of St. Joseph's in Connecticut. He played a big part in bringing men's athletics to this school. They hired Jim Calhoun as their men's basketball coach. He's been there two seasons, and already he has turned this – 
program around and took them to the NCAA tournament. They went on like a 20-something game win streak this year with Calhoun. Obviously, Calhoun won a bunch of titles with uh, UConn. Uh, so we'll talk to Josh about his playing career as a baseball player, talk to him some relative baseball news, and uh, we'll talk to him, obviously, about Jim Calhoun. So here's our interview with Josh Engel. All right, interview time. Mike and I welcome on one of my oldest friends, my best friend, Josh Ingham. He is the assistant athletic director at the University of St. Joe's in Connecticut. Josh, thanks for coming on, man. Mike and I appreciate it. Yeah, no, I appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, looking forward, forward to it. Always good to talk to you, Kev. And uh, nice to meet you, Mike. Looking forward to the show. Yeah, it's not every day you get to interview one of your best friends, so I'm excited about it. So I'm going to... I'm going to pump you up a little bit here and let everybody know. Josh was an excellent baseball player back in his day. He went to Central Connecticut, played there for four years. Josh and I were teammates during our high school days together. Josh, you had an awesome career at Central Connecticut. You finished college. You came and coached with me for a couple of years. But, I mean, what were you thinking career-wise at that point? Were you still upset that you didn't get to play at the next level was coaching the one thing on your mind at that time or what were you what were you thinking if you can go back to that time in your life sure um yeah i mean obviously i've been playing baseball since you know i was like three or four years old and it's really the only thing i knew you know obviously playing other sports growing up being competitive, but, you know, baseball is always the one that stuck out. You know, really devoted the majority of my time to, to baseball, you know, pretty much almost year-round. So, obviously, you get, to, you get to college, you get to Division One, you get to the, you know, the highest level of collegiate sports. There's always that thought in the back of your mind that, you know, you work hard, you can potentially make this a career and get to the next level. Uh, obviously, I was fortunate enough to work uh, play with a couple guys, J.P. Sportman and Nick Newman, that, that, got the, that were able to make it to that jump to the next level. You know, and, and I guess I was somewhat on par with those guys, but, you know, you, you play with those guys, you know, Central Connecticut's a little major Division One college, and you travel around to some of these, you know, bigger, higher-level Division One colleges, and see some kids at UConn, you see some kids at University of Central Florida, you know, just to name a couple of those schools, and you're like, wow, you know, these kids are actually, you know, really on a, on a different level. So, you know, it's, it's always in the back of your mind. Yeah, I had, had a great career. I, I don't regret anything. You know, I worked hard, and, and I think I, I got the most out of my ability, but at the same time, I think around my my junior, senior year, as a, as a full-time starter, and get to really see some of these guys that were my age at that level. And, you know, a lot in summer ball, too, seeing guys from, you know, these power five, five conferences and how good they really are. You know, you're always confident in your ability, but, you know, at the same time, like, you know, a lot of these guys are an, another level above. And, you know, those are the guys that eventually make that jump. So, yeah, I mean, it was in the back of my mind. Maybe, I was I didn't throw hard enough as a, as a relief pitcher, but offensively, I thought maybe I had a chance. But his legs didn't move so great for a uh, middle infielder, <laughs> so that, uh, that didn't help my stock, that's for sure. After you get done playing, you have the unique opportunity to go coach on the Cape. And obviously, I think a lot of us know the allure and the prestige of the Cape Cod League. Maybe some of us love Freddie Prince Jr. and Summer Catch, whatever it may be. Uh, that league has a great standing and a great reputation. So was it all it was cracked up to be coaching on the Cape for those couple of years that you did it? And what was that What was that experience like for you? Oh, for sure. Two best summers of my life, hands down, no questions asked. In terms of just a full experience, 
you know, a couple co- couple years over the summer coaching he was awesome. I had a great time. And, you know, we had a lot of good laughs and memories and got to take some really awesome trips. And, you know, that was a really special time also. But then you get to that, the Cape, and it's just the cream of the crop. You know, I was very fortunate to be with an organization that took really, really good care of uh, myself and all the other coaches and the coaching staff. Uh, so that definitely aided in, in the experience. But, yeah, I mean, it was the coach for the Chatterman was, you know, it is probably the staple of the Cape Cod League. Yeah. Uh, it was it was really, really special. Uh, you know, and kudos to, to John Schiffman, who's our general, who's our manager, and his family, his wife, Martha, who, you know, took us in as, as you know, their sons, you know, all of us. Uh, you know, first-class people, first-class organization. You know, I wish I could have spent, I would still be there if I could. No questions asked. It was, you know, a really special summer. They, they put us up, which, you know, not too many teams did uh, in a house that was, you know, stone's throw away from the beach. Yeah, you had a great uh, you know, we, we, Yeah, it was incredible. Uh, we, you know, we worked hard. We did a lot of things right until, you know, three quarters of the day, but then it was also, you know, you know one, or, one day a week you get an off day. It was great to kind of explore the Cape. And as it came from New York, I didn't really get a chance to Came out to visit. I got the worst sunburn of all time. <laughs> yeah, there was uh, there's a couple times where I, I learned pretty quick. First couple hot days, the end of June, early July. You know, throwing batting practice wasn't too easy when you got some like thirty degree burns on your shoulders. Just some you're working out on the field with uh, a shirt on, which probably not uh, probably can't do that anymore with the way uh, I can treat my body. But, uh, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> I look horrible right now. Wait till you see me next weekend. <laughs> I look so bad right now. I'm looking at myself on this camera. Whoa, baby. It's a, it's an unflattering upward angle. Mike, I'm shocked you haven't puked yet. Oh, my God. I just caught a glimpse of myself. That is we can, uh, we can place up that first bet of the weekend. Uh, I'll get my roommate's scale. We'll put it out. We'll see who, uh, oh. who can break 250 first. <laughs> I am well on my way to breaking 250. I'm well on my way to being permanently in, like, jogging suits. We might, we might be able to have you on uh, for an entire episode of off-the-field stuff at the Cape. That's probably what I'm more interested in. But Love that. What, um, as a baseball guy, what do you make of the Astro stuff? And during your playing time or coaching time, did you obviously you didn't see anything as shady as that, but did you see things that were maybe considered Bush League or shady with sign-stealing, stuff like that? But I guess first, what's your take on the Astros? Yeah, no, I mean, it's obviously disappointing to see all that stuff come out. You know, as a, as a Connecticut, as, as much of a New York guy I am, I, you know, Connecticut's kind of been my second home here for the last, you know, nine, ten years. And got to actually know George Springer and his family and, and, and met him a couple of times and developed a relationship with him. So it's you know, a little uneasy when you see him involved in it. You don't really know exactly how much he's involved in it. But, you know, really disappointing to see... Just see that kind of taint the 
game. Obviously, I know you're a Dodgers guy, so you must be pretty butthurt about it. Right. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> um, Kevin's written no less than seven blogs about it. Championship pulled out from underneath him. <laughs> Not at all. Go Yankees. <laughs> I, w- I was actually going to ask you that question about the steroids. So you think it's a no-brainer that you would rather have somebody juicing than know what pitch is coming, right? A hundred percent. I think. I mean, obviously, that, it, I, I mean, I'd rather have zero, and obviously, you want a level playing field as well, much yeah. as possible. But I guess if you had to pick one or the other, I'd rather, as a forward pitcher, I would rather face somebody who's juicing than somebody who knew every single pitch I was throwing. I don't know if that's how it was. Like, they know every single pitch. They only know certain pitches. off speed. Like, I have no idea. But, you know, it seems like if I, I remember, you know, you go to you go to alumni, you know, you go back to Central for our alumni game, and, you know, sometimes you get a catcher who was on your team and there just because, you know, they throw that guy back there. Right. He'll, you know, he'll tip pitches to you all the time. You know, like, thank God, because, you know, now that we're overweight and out of shape, you know, I'm your hands speed or anything, can't see the ball, young kids throwing it, you know, 90 plus miles an hour, right. like, hey, here comes a fastball, at least I know I can get geared up for it, or hey, here comes a curveball, at least give me a decent chance of trying to get a hit on it. Yeah, for me, I, Mike and I were talking about it a couple episodes ago, and Mike pulled it up that in game five of the World Series against the Dodgers, Kershaw threw like what was it, 52 breaking balls, Mike? He threw 51 breaking balls and got zero swings and misses. Correct. Right. He's one of the best curveballs in the game. Yeah, that, seems, that seemed crazy to us, but it's like, yeah. we were, I was having this conversation with actually one of our good friends, Josh, and he was trying to tell me that he thought that steroids would give you a greater benefit, and I was arguing the fact that when you're that good of a hitter, like Springer or Altuve or... Bregman, whoever you want to take out of that team, and you tell them what pitch is coming, that makes them infinitely better. It, it, it makes them better than it would if they were on steroids, in a sense, in my opinion. For sure. I 100% agree. So let's transition. You get to St. Joseph's. Was it, well, actually, before that, let's talk about when you started working as an SID sports information director. Was it tough leaving the field and adjusting to a new role? 
in athletics and leaving baseball behind, leaving the coaching behind, not for good, but for the time being? Yeah, I mean, it was, um, it was kind of a, you know, for people who maybe don't know what sports information directors do or athletic communications directors, it's kind of a, you know, it's kind of almost like a segue into the athletic department becoming an administrator, you know, half the job, half the three quarters of the jobs in the office, but then you also have out on the field. Uh, you know, studying the games, you're around the game, you're involved in athletics, you're around that team culture. So, yeah, I thought it was an interesting fit. Obviously, after I was done playing, um, you know, coaching was in the back of my mind a couple of years with, with UCAB and then a couple of years out in the Cape. You know, right when, actually, my internship, I had an internship at Central Connecticut, uh, which was my first job at a college uh, for two years. After the internship was over, I was, you know, 50-50 between trying to really dive into coaching or just stick with the sports information stuff. Um, and after talking to some coaches and some other people, you know, they were like, if you're not, you know, it's going to be a grind. Basically, if you want to get into coaching, it's going to be super, you know, super grind. You're going to have to really start from the bottom. You're volunteering, not making any money, you know, and then it's all kind of a, a crapshoot more or less with making connections and trying to work your way up to assistant coach to uh, chances you think we could get you, me, our other two assistant coaches, and tell the Arizona story to the airways? <laughs> I think we gotta get <laughs> I think we gotta get them all on the horn one time and we gotta do a group call then. I think we gotta tell uh, that story. <laughs> Just make sure George isn't listening. I don't know if he knows it, <laughs> No, he knows. I think I think I think I think uh, I think the little guy eventually told him. <laughs> Mike, remind me to tell you off of the air. I got a good story about Arizona for you. It doesn't involve it doesn't involve me or Josh really, but it involves one of our other assistant coaches, and it's a yeah. it's a doozy. I, I guess I'm guilty by association, but I had no idea I was dying of a horrible stomach illness in the in the in the hotel room, and these guys left me, and then chaos ensued. <laughs> That was my first uh, experience of Old Town Scottsdale. Just being at that one place. They were surrounded by Arizona State girls, and <laughs> JP, who was on our show last week, was actually involved in that too. We can get yeah, JP. Yeah, that place. Um, place. If you are married or have a girlfriend, <laughs> for all those people listening who might 
be, uh, you know, husbands or have girlfriends. And you're saying you're going to spring training in Arizona. We know what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah, we everybody knows what we're doing. I was the only one in a relationship at the time. That's why I stayed back in the hotel room with the stomach illness. That's smart. The single boys were out in Arizona living the dream. Uh, so you so you then go to St. Joe's. You're there before the legend Coach Calhoun gets there. When it was being kept quiet and you guys were trying to hire him, what was that like, trying to keep that under wraps, number one, but number two, envisioning what might happen if he does agree to come coach there. Yeah, so it was, you know, kind of crazy. An all-girls school for basically 90 years. I'd worked there for two years. And, you know, I had a fight with the Hartford Current just to try to get, you know, our line score in the newspaper for games. <laughs> they would cover us for anything. It was like, who's St. Joe's? Who cares? You know, it's like, you know, Little McCrock lost by 12 schools. It was kind of just the hot pot place where some place to get my foot in the door. Right. You know, I was the I was the head of the department of one person, and uh, <laughs> you know, kind of just making my own. I didn't see myself there for really more than two years, and then all of a sudden, I'm coming back from the Cape, and it's the summertime, going into starting year three, year three, I think. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, I think it's year three. And I get a call, and they're like, "Look at the newspaper," and the Hartford Current just wrote a an article, and there was rumblings, there was rumblings, you know, weeks prior saying, um, you know, the school's going co-ed, I guess we should get a little backstory, the school's going co-ed, um, we're adding, uh, the next following year, year and a half, we were adding, um, males as fully co-ed, educational schools, and then part of that was to, you know, add, you know, sports teams, and the first four that were going to be added were men's basketball, men's soccer, men's cross country, men's swimming and diving. So the wheels started turning of, you know, we need to start hiring some coaches. Um, and our athletic director at the time, uh, Bill Cardarelli, you know, his main task was to try to find somebody for the men's basketball program. I'm still trying to, you know, face it of the new men's, men's teams. Um, and so he just threw out this feeling. He was asking a bunch of coaches all over the state, you know, if they had any input or had any uh, advice from old former players, anybody who might be interested so one of the stops was uh, to Coach Calhoun, who actually Bill um, coached with back in, I'm going to mess up the year, but I say 20 years ago, um, at UConn as, as an assistant coach for the year at UConn. And then, um, so we went to see him, just wanted to you know, pick his brain, get his thoughts on maybe if you have him a player, a former assistant, that might be interested in the head coaching job. And Bill kind of put the sales pitch on him, and his coach goes, you know, I'm intrigued. Uh, he was retired at UConn. He, you know, he, he didn't have the he didn't have the sweat in his palms from being in the game. He was doing some stuff with ESPN as, as color yeah. commentator. Mm-hmm. So he's like, you know what? I'm in, I'm interested. At the Senate date, I want to meet the president. I want to see the school, things like that. So kind of one thing led to another, just from a conversation. I remember talking to Bill after he talked to Coach. He was like, it took him by surprise. He was like, what do you mean you're intrigued? You like. <laughs> You're, you're intrigued or you're, you have somebody in mind and then you just kind of you know jumped at us and then, all right, let's get you in the door and make the president one thing led to another and now we're here. That's crazy. <laughs> Go ahead, Mike. You had a question for Jeff. Yeah. During this whole uh, this whole Calhoun thing, were, were people starstruck from having him around? Um, especially a brand new program. Was it was it kind of weird to be in the same room as somebody who's had that level of success? Yeah, for sure. I mean, growing up, you 
man, so I hated him, and I remember calling him the first <laughs> time I met him. I was like, yeah, coach, I'm not going to lie, like, I did not like you. <laughs> <laughs> You waited till he signed the contract first before you told him you hated him, right? <laughs> you were probably too new at the job for the handshake being like, hey, dude, thanks for ruining a lot of my favorite Jim Beheim memories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it might, might not have been the best first impression, but uh, I don't really know really it now. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was interesting. It's just being in his presence, especially at first, I remember... I had no idea. You can't understand him. I, you know, I should get him on the show maybe one time. He's like, he'll talk to you. He will just talk in circles. He's fast-talking Irishman from, from Boston with a thick accent. And it's like, what the hell is this guy talking about? Like, he will just start going from one subject to another, to a different story, to you know, talking about his kids, to basketball, back to like the story from when he was down in Hilton South Carolina. The guy just stopped. And then, but it all had a point. And you just kind of sit there and listen and kind of figure it out where he's going with it. But it's definitely not easy. He controls the room. Um, you know, obviously, a man of that stature coming into a place who, that that's, you know, we've got four four main offices for our administration hallway. He's used to have an, an office inside the, you know, probably the house. So it's just kind of kind of different. But, you know, awesome guy. You know, treated everyone, especially um, in the administration um, you know, super fair, friendly, but definitely, definitely a little intimidating at first, for sure. You mentioned that you should try to get him to come on the show. It's ironic because we've been voted the number one fan favorite of Jim Calhoun podcast in the country. So, <laughs> Jim Calhoun <laughs> podcast. <laughs> He's a big podcast, that guy. Now, I actually had it like two weeks ago. Yeah, I mean that would be a nice bone to be thrown our way for sure. We especially, would, we would accept that bone. Especially now with the Bachelor Elite ending tonight, we're losing like twenty five percent of our content. Yeah, once the Bachelor <laughs> ends, I am out of ideas. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna need to start getting Hall of Fame coaches on the show. Well, for the the guy who handles all this. Yeah, we might have to uh, talk about that. I might have to grease your wheels next week in Connecticut and maybe buy you a dinner. Or something. There you go. Now we're talking. Are you considering acting after you were in the ESPN documentary? Well, if you see the opening, the lead in the intro to episode two, you would probably say you've got zero chance. But in retrospect, I did go out to the bar probably like a week or two after that aired. Standing in line, this is, not, this is a true story. You can ask, you can ask my girlfriend Amanda. It's a true story. She's with me. I'm standing in line to get a, to get a beer at the bar, and this girl turns around and she goes, "Wait a minute, I've seen you before." And I was like, "Well, I've never met you." She goes, "You were on TV." And I was, Damn right, I was on. TV. <laughs> Have you, uh, so that was pretty cool. So Josh was actually on the, e, what was it, E60, Josh? Was, was it a, Yeah, the E60 project, the Calhoun project. Yeah, it was awesome. And the whole entire documentary opens up with Josh showing how he doesn't have a real tie. He's got like a zip-up tie. And he was demonstrating how to put the zip-up tie on electric. Yeah, I blabbered my way through. So they showed, so the first time I ever met Chris, the first time I ever met Coach Calhoun, he comes in, it's I'd never met him. He'd been to campus a couple times when I was president. 
that dance like they're all kind of like closed meetings as all they all kept it kept it kind of quiet until the day arrives where we are gonna announce that he's gonna sign on as a consultant not head coach yet just a consultant mm-hmm. so this is the first time i meet him and i'm i'm now passing up this opportunity you know at a huge press conference and i'm set up for, for like an hour a little bit later in the day and so he comes in the media it's our RFI director, meet with all the administration, just kind of say hi, shake hands, um, kind of introduce himself to everybody. And so there's this press conference, and it's about an hour from, from, when, I, from when he walks through the door. And I, I got it in a Coach, I need it. I need it. I'm, I'm not missing this opportunity. I'd be the first person here to get your thoughts on coming And to say I butchered it, I butchered it. Well, I, I could just. Dude, I can't imagine. You got to do that face to face with that guy. Like, you got to be so nervous doing that. So nervous, and like I mentioned, like he walked through the door. I was like, I've never met him before. He just starts talking, and I'm like, what is he? I couldn't understand a word he was saying. <laughs> I had no idea. It was insane. It was the most just inco. Like I felt dumb basically. I, was like, I had no idea what he's saying. I don't know how to hold a conversation with this guy. He's going all over the place. It's just, it was a really funny movie. I get you the full, like, unedited clip of it. There's part of it in the... Yeah, in the, the documentary. documentary. Yeah. If you so, could get us the unedited full thing, we'll put it up. We'd love to have that. Oh, yeah, I'm trying, I'm trying to make sure... I'm trying to get that deleted from, like, the internet forever. Yeah, well, I mean, like Mike said, <laughs> we need content. The Bachelor ends today, so <laughs> we need some type of stuff going here. Dude, thank you for coming on and talking. That was awesome. You told some good stories. That was a great interview. We appreciate you coming on. Of course, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. It's uh, always good to talk to you guys. Uh, you know, was, there's plenty of stories to be told. Hopefully, you got the good insight, but now it's a lot of fun. Yeah, no, we appreciate it, man. And next weekend, I am going, I'm taking a business trip to Connecticut, right. in, in a sense. Um, we're going to be up there celebrating NCAA tournament, March Madness, and I'm hoping to come back with a bunch of money. We're going to go to the casino. So. So keep a lookout for me on the Instagram page. We'll be out there doing our thing. So maybe uh, get some content on there of me winning a bajillion dollars next week. <laughs> Josh, again, thanks, man. We appreciate it. That was awesome. Thanks for coming on, man. Thank you. Yeah, of course, Kev and Mike. That was great. That was a lot of fun. Appreciate it. Thanks, buddy. That interview was brought to you by Novice Clothing. Uh, we're all about supporting local businesses on this show. And I'm blown away by Novice Clothing Company and the original authentic work being done for athletes of all ages and teams of all sizes. Uh, based in Albany, New York, the Bernardo brothers have lived through playing in uncomfortable athletic gear, too big, too small, too thick, and in upstate New York, not thick enough. Novice Clothing Company doesn't outsource for its apparel. They produce it themselves. I wear it all the time on the golf course. They got great hats. Uh, the Bernardo brothers take care of me. I love it. I can't uh, really. It's you know one of those products where... Uh, I actually use, so it's cool that we get to read about it. But uh, uh, parents, coaches, and booster clubs do what we do here at Procrastination Sports, support local business. Get started at noviceclothingcompany.com and on Instagram at noviceclothingcompany and get ready to claim your crown. Like, quick, we're running out of time here, but there is about eight or so big-name quarterbacks still out on the free agent market where they're going to end up. So I'm going to rattle you through some names, and you're going to give me the team where you think they're going to end up. Okay. There's also some big NFL rule changes that I don't think we're going to get to, 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 to today, so we'll have to put that on our list for next week, but a couple that I like. All right, so we'll start with the quarterbacks here. We'll do the quarterbacks. I'm going to go from probably least relative or 
at the peak to the best quarterback. So we'll start with Marcus Mariota. Where is he going to go? First off, do you think it'll be as a backup or as a starter? And where do you think he's going? I think people will still talk themselves into the Mariota starter. I mean, two years ago, we saw Keenum and Foles kind of make some playoff noise. So they think a conservative quarterback can still get it done. I would think that we would see Mariota perhaps in Indianapolis or maybe even Chicago. Okay, I'm going to say I think he might go to the Chargers. I, I, I know the Chargers are going to draft a quarterback, but I could see him going to the Chargers competing for a job, and then if he is there and as the starter, maybe he can make some noise and get a long-term deal somewhere else again. So I could see him going – to the Chargers, if he's going to compete for a starting job, if he's going to go and be a backup somewhere, I was thinking Arizona. Kyler Murray kind of reminds me of him a little bit. Obviously, Murray's more athletic, but the way their game is and the system that they run there, Mariota would fit in good as a backup there. How about Nick Foles? Is he going to stay in Jacksonville, or are they going to ship him out? I think that they're going to keep Foles there. I just don't see that there's a market for him with that contract. People saw what Foles did the first time he left Philadelphia when he went to go play for Jeff Fisher. He didn't have the same kind of career he had under Chip Kelly for the one year he was decent in Philadelphia. I think that you're going to see Foles stuck in Jacksonville being an overpaid backup. Yeah, I think, well, first off, I think Jacksonville's all in on Minshew Mania. I think Gardner Minshew's going to be their starter. The only team I could see kind of taking on this contract at this point would be the Bears because they're already all in and they have like two more years with this window to pack yeah. money in because then they can't afford any of these guys. Or Ursay says, screw it, I need to try to bring in a big name because Jacoby Brissett is not the answer and he takes on this contract and hopes for the best, lets him play in a dome, hope maybe it reduces injury. Yeah, uh, that's That to me is a possibility there. I like Andy Dalton to go to the Bears. I think that makes sense. I don't think the Bears can continue with Mitch Trubisky. I think he's bad. I think he's real bad. I think Matt Nagy is also maybe not as great as we all thought he was, but that defense is too good for the next two years to waste it and be like, what could have been? That defense was good enough this year to go to the playoffs, certainly the year before. Trubisky just doesn't put the ball in the end zone, so I I don't think he's the guy. I think that Dalton has enough skills still to maybe thrive underneath a Bruce Arians offense in Tampa Bay if they move on from Winston. I also wouldn't be surprised to see Dalton, like you said, in Indianapolis where maybe he can play in a dome. He might be able to mitigate some mistakes. I do think there's a better trade market for Dalton than Foles. Yes, I agree with that 100%. I don't think Dalton's that bad. I think he played in a horrible culture in Cincinnati. Honestly, say what you want about Marvin Lewis, but they always went to the playoffs. And after Marvin Lewis left, he didn't look the same this year. Yeah. Uh, I think Andy Dalton isn't as bad as people give him credit for. I don't think he's an above-average quarterback. But I think he – see, to me, Kirk Cousins and Andy Dalton are the same player. So for Kirk Cousins to be getting all this praise, I mean, Andy Dalton went to the playoffs yeah. five times with Cincinnati. So it's not like he's a bum. Also, if – Dallas doesn't pay Dak, I wouldn't be surprised to see Andy Dalton on the sign-and-trade there. That could be interesting. Um, Cam Newton, to me, I think there's one place for Cam where he thrives, and that's in Las Vegas. I think if you – I am a huge believer in Cam Newton, 
And I think if you put him with a guy like Gruden in a city that is clamoring for their football team to be good because they're brand new in an environment like Vegas where he's going to get the notoriety that he wants. He's going to get the date, uh, the, the ads and the, so what am I looking for? The, uh, endorsements. Yeah. The endorsements. Thank you. Vegas is a good spot for him. I think Cam Newton to the Raiders makes perfect sense. I don't think Derek Carr is the answer. I personally think Derek Carr stinks. I'd get rid of Derek Carr as quickly as I possibly could. And if you can get Cam Newton there, a guy who has freak athleticism, and I personally think the Panthers are dismissing him way too soon. They wanted to get rid of him this year when they were like, oh, Matt Moore is the answer. Is that who they put in there? Uh, Kyle Allen. Kyle Allen. Yeah, thank you. He was not the answer. Okay. He was horrible. Um, he had a couple good games early, and then he couldn't go and win on the road, and then it got worse and worse. And the grass is not always greener, especially when it comes to playing quarterback. I'm a diehard Giant fan. I've said this about Eli my whole life. Be careful what you wish for. When Giant fans would say, get him out of here, I'd be like, why? Where are we going? What else are we going with? Cam Newton went to a Super Bowl. Um, He won an MVP. He's a talented player. And to get him, I think sometimes you just need a change of environment. I think if he goes there, we could be seeing big things. If you're Cam Newton and they tried to force you out for Kyle Allen, who started off, I think, Three and two, maybe five and two, something like that. Think, and then think, yeah, yeah. lost out. Five and two, and yeah. then lost out, yeah. So they basically tried to kick Cam out. They tried to run it with this Kyle Allen kid. He stinks. So yeah. now they came basically crawling back to Cam and kind of hinting at they want Cam back. I think it's the best fit for Cam, but I wouldn't be surprised if he left after they kind of tried to force him out. I'm with you. I think Las Vegas is the best option for him because he's so big. He's so athletic. He'll take a little bit of pressure off of Josh Jacobs in the run game. Gruden's one of those evil genius types who can have a big playbook. And I think that Cam has the ability to really show out there. He's got a. He's a very charismatic. He's the exact guy the league should want as the face of the Las Vegas Raiders. I agree. Let's do uh, two more here. Uh, we'll just do them quick. Just I'm going to give you the name. You give me the team. Brady, I'm saying he's going back to New England. I'm back on New England as well. Uh, Phillip Rivers, I think he's going to go to Tampa Bay. I'm also in on Tampa Bay there. And then we got two more quickly, Bridgewater and Tannehill. I think the Titans are going to be forced to take Tannehill back. Um, and then Bridgewater. Um, Carolina, maybe? I don't know. I'm going with, I believe that Bridgewater will more than likely end up in Indianapolis. And I don't really think there's a ton of difference between him and Brissett. But I do think Bridgewater's a bigger name who might make less errors just because Bridgewater's always been a more conservative quarterback. And the other quarterback was uh, Bridgewater and Tannehill. Tannehill, I think, goes back to Tennessee if Brady goes to New England. I agree. Tannehill, Henry, they're just going to run it back in Tennessee. I think if Brady goes to uh, Tennessee, you could see Tannehill go to New England. But who knows? If he if Brady changes to goes to Tennessee, I think Bridgewater goes to New England. That would be a change of pace, and I think that would be a good move. All right, man, that was good. Um, 
that'll do it for us. We'll be back next week with episode nine. Uh, remember to check us out on the blog at procrastinationsports.com. Check us out on Spotify as well. Um, anything else, Michael? Salon. All right, brother. Thanks, everybody. We'll be back next week.